This episode of Hit the Ground Running is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm Christina Royster. And I'm Yasmin Gagne. And you're listening to Hit the Ground Running, a fast company podcast where we help young professionals uncover how to make it in the ever-changing world of work. On today's episode, we tackle a topic that still gives me anxiety just thinking about it, looking for work after college. We'll be speaking with Rainsford Stauffer, a journalist who's written for the New York Times and Teen Vogue, and who has a new book out called An Ordinary Age about how college graduates should think about pursuing job opportunities. Mmm. Do you smell that? Yes. Smells like grad season. What? It smells like sweaty and nervousness. (laughs) Yes. It's graduation season, May, June. I'm just reminiscing back to my own graduation. That was the happiest day of my life. I cannot wait to walk across that stage because four years. Well, for me, I actually, when I left college, the day I graduated, I had a job opportunity. So that's why I was excited. I was like, yes, I'm getting out of here and starting the workforce. But what about you? How was graduation for you? There's two aspects to it, which is one, I was just incredibly nervous about trying to walk across the stage in heels. Oh, yes. (laughs) Which is like not my strong suit. And then secondly, I, I think I just felt nervous about entering life. You know, I I was happy in college. I enjoyed going to class and doing academics. And I had a fellowship lined up. It was like a one-year job that was kind of exciting, but not exactly what I wanted, but that paid so little. I mean, I was just making no money my first year out of graduation. And I I ended up tutoring like seven hours a week just to make it work. So Mm. I think even then knowing that salary, I was incredibly anxious. And was that in New York? That was in New York. So yeah, living in New York. An expensive city. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Don't get it wrong though. Like, even though I was excited to start my new opportunity, I was definitely nervous as well. And our listeners might know by now that I live in Southern New Jersey, but my first gig was a part-time job at a nonprofit in the Bronx. And I was commuting like two days a week from Southern New Jersey to the Bronx. How did you do that? How long was your commute? A drive, a train, and then two subways. (laughs) It was like three hours one way. (laughs) But I was so hungry and I was so desperate. Like you said, the pay was little, but I just wanted anything on my resume, you know? So um, I am grateful. It's also like a classic. I know when I was 18, at least, I don't know how you felt at the time, but I'm like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> you know, like, that's easy. <laughs> now I'm like, girl, yes. When you first take a job and then you realize how much of a toll commuting mm-hmm. takes on you physically, mentally, I cannot wait to get home. And to your point, I also was working part time I'm at a retail store. I don't even remember which one. I've had so yeah. many jobs. <laughs> Looking back, I'm glad that I had that experience, but man, it was tough. How did you find that job? It sounds like you were excited about it, but how did yeah. you, you know, actually find the work? I found that job on Indeed, and I'm actually glad you brought that up because while we're going through this graduation season and we're seeing everybody post their cap and gown on the timeline, I did a poll on Fast Company's Twitter, and I asked graduates, number one, what do you plan on doing after college? 45% said enter the workforce. So it seems like people are still excited to work. (laughs) I asked, what career path do you want to pursue after graduation? And 45% said they had no idea. Did you know what you wanted to do after graduation? Or were you kind of like, all right, I have this job. I'm kind of excited about it. We'll figure it out down the line. You know what? 
I was a graphic design major. And so mm-hmm. my dream job, if that still exists, I don't know if we still call it dream job, but my dream job was to be a graphic designer at an ad agency. I had interned at a couple ad agencies. I got the feel for it. I said, I like it here. And as we all know, I'm a social media producer now. <laughs> so my first job was a marketing assistant, they called it, at a nonprofit. And I did graphic design, a little social media, a little bit of everything. And that's when I realized, oh, I kind of like this more than just graphic design. And so you kind of just learn as you go, right? What did you want to be growing up? Like, I'm, I'm not talking about when you're like really little and you're like, I want to be a pineapple. Like, <laughs> what, what were like the real jobs you wanted to have? Actually, I, I feel like I always knew I wanted to be a graphic designer. In ninth grade, I took my first like little Photoshop class. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to do graphic design. And so it's funny that for what, eight years, high school graduation, I was like, I'm going to be a graphic designer. And yeah. then you get introduced to the world you get introduced to adulting and you realize like there's other opportunities out here. You well, know? there's so many jobs that like you don't even know about in high school. Right. Or that's what I felt. It was only when I got to college that I was like, what is a consultant? I'm still unclear on what they do. It doesn't sound fun, but sure. When you asked, you know, I know in the poll you were talking to people also about how they were looking for work. What were the findings? It looks like a lot of people, 37.5% are finding jobs on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Now I said earlier, I found a job on Indeed. And from our mm-hmm. survey, only 19% of people are using Indeed and Monster. So networking has changed greatly in just four years and job hunting has totally changed as well. Now, I'm part of the 31.9% that found their job through networking slash word of mouth. And that was, you know, just interning for people and asking them, you know, if they knew of any openings or for recommendations, but you know, now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, what would I have done if I was graduating remotely? I would not have that that same network. Times have definitely changed. I think back to my senior year of college as a graphic design major, we had a portfolio review day. And so I'm sitting here really thinking in my head, like, what are the chances that any of these companies reviewing my portfolio are going to give me a job? That's when I realized it was really up to me. It It's really your work ethic and your networking and hitting the ground running. (laughs) Sorry for the pun, but really you have to put in that work because your professors aren't going to find you a job. Your parents are going to find you a job. It's really up to you. And I can't imagine, like you said, graduating in a pandemic, you can't even go on a traditional interview. So I'm, I guess we're blessed that we didn't graduate during this time, but there's also new opportunities. I imagine if I could have just gotten a remote job and didn't have to commute three hours to the Bronx, you know? I don't know, man. It's so hard. It's so hard. Like every time people ask me for advice, like new grads, they're like, what, how do I do what you do? I'm like, dude, I have no, (laughs) so much of entering the workforce is learning how to work in like the dumbest ways. Like I remember my first office internships, like sitting at a desk for eight hours a day was so tough for me. And then, you know, also like at least when I went to college, I didn't feel like anyone taught me, you know, here's how you write a professional email or like, here's how you talk to your boss when something is up. And I I feel like you just end up making a lot of mistakes when you start out. Yeah, you're Um, so right. Like I remember going to a job fair after college, I was in between jobs and I pulled out my nice, beautiful graphic design resume 
And the lady was like, no, we don't do this anymore. Like the, <laughs> the, the machines, you know how the robots read your resume nowadays. Yeah, They're, yeah. They can't read all that. They can't decipher all that. So she was yeah. like, go back to a black and white resume, but kind of make it pop and make it your own. And that's something I wouldn't have learned unless I talked to a human being about how to do job yeah, stuff. I mean, I'm totally with you. It's all trial and error. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of that, with your first job out of college, was it everything you hoped for? Was it as great as you thought it would oh be? Oh my God. No, it was terrible. <laughs> like I didn't, you I don't think keep I it real for the listeners. Cause they're going to be, yeah, asking, it, was like, hor- it was horrible. And then things got better, you know, like I had a really rough first few years out of college and then I figured it out. And I feel like that's something that we're going to talk a lot about with our guest Rainsford Stauffer, who has written a book called an ordinary age, kind of about being a young person and navigating all of this. This episode of Hit the Ground Running is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Thanks, Rainsford, for joining us today. It's so nice to meet you, e-meet you virtually. And, you know, that actually speaks to what we're going to be talking about today and how COVID-19 kind of just disrupted a lot of traditional milestones, including graduations and entering the workforce. So my question for you is, For people who are just graduating or maybe even junior employees who are looking for a change in career, how can we figure out what is the right career for us with all of this uncertainty going on? I think that's a great question because what I've been hearing from young people isn't even so much figuring out what the right career for them is. It's how am I going to get a job in order to pay my rent at all? And so I think that it's kind of a twofold answer. One may be a little bit more immediate and satisfactory than the other. I think the first step is giving people the space to figure out what it is that they actually want to spend their time doing and realizing that a lot of that may not come from work, especially right now. I've had a lot of conversations over the course of especially this last pandemic year, but really the years prior with young people feeling kind of disillusioned by this idea of a dream job and kind of taking all of their self-worth or their time or their ideas of what it means to be a good life, connecting them to their labor output is something that people were already starting to reconsider, renegotiate for themselves prior to the pandemic. And I think that that'll continue. I think the secondary answer there is we have to look at what resources people need to actually live a fulfilled life beyond work, which we're seeing now more than ever in conversations on what it means to have a living wage, who does and doesn't have access to health insurance. The young people I spoke to had these things at the forefront of their minds even before they got to college, if that's the path that they took. And I think that those primary concerns on who has access to resources and what our basic needs are and how we get those met are things that are going to be top priority moving forward. That's a great point because when I started college, my hope was just get a job. It wasn't even get a job in my field or what have you. And now I feel like as a young person, you can kind of be a little more selective and a more more experimental. And we're seeing uh, Fast Company writes articles about how you should switch jobs every two or three years, et cetera. So I, I think that goes to your point about, you know, these young people today, we want something different. We're not, you know, our parents and we expect more from employers as well, but we don't want work to just be our whole identity, you know? You had 
a non-traditional path after high school. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that we are already seeing with younger generations, and I would imagine that we're going to continue to see more so, is people sealing a lot more flexibility in terms of what their path looks like. And I realize that that can sound like a very privileged position. And I think in a way it is, but by that, I really mean, I think we're going to see people figuring out whether it makes sense to go immediately from high school into college, whether they want to work part-time while in school, whether college isn't the right fit for them and their economic circumstances at all. I think that that's one of the biggest factors in the current student debt cancellation conversation we're having is what pathways are accessible and who they're accessible to. In terms of my own path, I had worked for most of my high school career and for the most part really enjoyed working. And so that was something that felt pretty natural to me by the time I got to college um, and spent my freshman year at a small school about an hour away from where I grew up. I kept my job in my hometown because I really liked it. So I was commuting back and forth. And I think that while I obviously knew other people were working while in school and it wasn't just me, I didn't remember hearing that many conversations about the realities of what that looked like and trying to juggle, you know, different schedules and contradictory priorities because I had professors that, you know, genuinely didn't understand that I had to show up to my job. There was no one to cover for me. And so I'm hoping that there's more nuance in how we're starting to talk about that now, because what we know from research is that, first of all, not every college student is between ages 18 and 22. A lot of them are caregivers or breadwinners or parenting already and need different things out of their educations and work and how those two things work together. I ended up leaving school after my freshman year, spent a couple years outside the classroom just trying to focus on work and figuring out really what I wanted out of this quote unquote college experience. And ultimately to make a long story short, ended up graduating online while also working full-time. So I was a full-time student, a full-time employee. And I think that it really clarified how I thought about work from a fairly early age, because I realized that there was no way that my academics and my job and my personal life were all going to have the best of me at once. It became very apparent from a time management perspective, from a mental health perspective, that that was not going to be in the cards. And so I think it helped me figure out how I was going to have work is something that was necessary to support myself. And in a lot of cases, I did enjoy the work that I was doing, but trying to figure out, okay, what are the other parts of my identity and my life that need my energy and attention? So you said that you were working part-time and then full-time. And another thing that students use to kind of get their feet was internships. So let's talk about internships for a little bit, because in my experience in mm -hmm. college, I felt like, well, I was a graphic design major and I basically felt like I cannot get a job without having internships, without getting that experience on my resume. Nowadays, do you think internships are overrated or are they still important? First of all, it depends on the internship. I think the bigger conversation is if we're going to make internships essentially another job requirement, like in the same way some jobs require you to have a four-year college degree, I think that there is now an expectation that you're going to have field experience, which for a lot of people means an internship. I think that we have to figure out what the barriers are to who gets to have those and who doesn't. 
I think the data, I'm thinking back to the book and and data I quote from a researcher who studies this, I think that it was something like only 29% of seniors reported participating in an internship in like 1994. And by 2017, that number was 65%. So I don't think there's any question that now there's an expectation that you're going to have field experience. It's going to come in the form of an internship. And I think the bigger barrier there is, as I'm sure you all know, in a lot of cases, these things are full-time and still completely unpaid, no health benefits. In a lot of instances, students are literally paying the university tuition to go work for someone else for free. Yeah, I mean, we work, we work in media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you all know, probably even better than I do. Like, that's not, first of all, that's not sustainable. That's not equitable. That's not just. It's not something that anyone should be enduring at any point in their work life. Certainly not a young person who is trying to break into a field. And I think that that's a conversation I really hope we keep having because I think that, their job descriptions for internships that essentially list the benefit as you get experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, but you're also getting my labor. So what, what is happening here? I personally had kind of a winding career, you know, through college, I was a real box ticker. You know what I mean? Like really cared about my grades in high school, like went to an Ivy league school, like majored in what I thought I should have. And I, I really wanted to be a journalist. And for a while it didn't really pan out you know, media is a really tough industry. There are not that many jobs. And I felt at the time, like a lot of my friends just kind of had it figured out really quickly. You know, they got jobs at banks or consulting firms, or they knew they were going to law school. And something I've been thinking about is how lonely it felt. You know, the loneliness of trying to figure out your path when there's like this sort of wide open field in front of you. And I guess I'm curious what advice you would have for new grads navigating that and what advice you would have for them, you know, when it comes to finding work. Oh, this is such a great question. First of all, it sounds like you were the person that I wished I could have been in college and (laughs) just wasn't. I have no problem admitting that, you know, my standardized test scores teetered right on remedial despite my best effort. I was not a star student or a gifted and talented (laughs) student. I was a hard worker and generally liked college Mm -hmm. by the time I was kind of doing it in this weird, unique way that really worked for me and fit my life at the time. But I think that the things in terms of advice I would give are kind of the things that capitalism really doesn't want us to talk about. I think that Mm -hmm. everybody should have basic resources to have their basic needs met. And I think that people, especially people entering the workforce for the first time or trying to move into a new field for the first time, I think having patience and grace with yourself are sort of those things that aren't tangible, but are really the difference maker in terms of your mental health. Because you all know, it's so easy to internalize rejection or seeing that everyone is getting a job and somehow you're the only one that isn't. It's incredibly isolating. It makes you feel yeah. completely behind. And I think that a starting and point- social media doesn't make it better comparing yourself to your friends. It doesn't. We've all seen those announcements about mm-hmm. some personal news, which is really always professional news <laughs> on Twitter. It's it's hard <laughs> to see yeah. people embark on these things that were you know, previously kind of considered rites of passage, getting a first real job out of school. And now we just know there have been some really significant economic barriers thrown up in front of people in general, including younger generations that have kind of prevented it from being something that everyone does on the same timeline. And so I think the advice I would give is, first of all, 
your timeline to whatever field you enter has to work for you in the context of your life because you're the one that has to live with the sort of labor you're doing. You're the one that knows what feels fulfilling versus what doesn't. And I think that if we can escape this idea that if you haven't figured it out by 25, you failed, I think that that can really reconsider part of how we think of work and the ways we attach it to our identity. I think the other thing I'd say that I wish I would have figured out a lot earlier is it is okay if your job is just a job, yeah, especially if you're someone that, you know, plans to go into a field like media or into the arts, and I'm sure a million other ones that I'm probably not the best person to speak to, sometimes the timeline doesn't match up the way we thought it was going to. And that doesn't mean you aren't the right person for the job or the right fit for the field or that you won't find another way in. It's just that the path might look a little bit different. And I think when we attach so much of who we are to the job title, we have, it can get really messy when things don't work out the way we thought that they would. So I hope that that's something that we kind of start reconsidering that your work does not have to be the most important thing about you in your life all the time. That actually goes right into my next question, just kind of about, you know, having your own identity outside of work. But for me, I feel like my job and my passions and my purpose do kind of align because I do have hopes of kind of being a personality and I love, you know, media and entertainment and things like that. So how do you kind of separate them or is it okay not to separate them? Like, I don't want to become the brand, you know? Yeah. I think that that's a great question because I do think sometimes it gets presented as this black and white thing. Like either your job is your whole identity and your whole life, or you're someone that knows all of this is rooted in capitalism and reject all of it. (laughs) I think that the reality is a lot of us are going to exist in the middle. And I certainly don't think that, you know, the idea that you enjoy your work or you're passionate about your work is a bad thing. I think that the only way that ventures into a negative is when pursuing your passion puts you in a position to be exploited or puts you in a position where you can no longer critique um, the workforce or the work environment that you're having to do this work within. I think we can hold both. I think we can say, you know, I personally really loved the process of writing the book. I really love reporting. I really love that kind of work. And I can also look at the labor structure that that's operating in and think, well, this certainly isn't equitable for everybody. This isn't working for me all the time. I think it can be both. I think what I would tell young people about the idea of pursuing your passion specifically is that sometimes you don't know what your passion is right out of the gate. I thought I was going to be, well, first I thought I was going to be a ballet teacher and choreographer, (laughs) like in my teens, that's what I was going to do. And then I was going to be a literature professor. And then I dialed that down to, no, I want to work with high schoolers. I want to be a teacher. And so I think that holding space for the fact that what you're interested in can change and the way you pursue those interests can change is a really important part of the conversation. You know, my last question for you is really how you figured it out. You know, I'm so impressed that, you know, you have a day job and you, you know, write and you've written for a lot of prestigious publications. And I'm curious how you sort of divide your work and your free time. And also you're doing it all from Kentucky, which is not a media hub. And I feel like at least in our industry, there's this fallacy that you sort of need to be in New York City to figure it out. (laughs) So I would just love to hear more about that. First of all, that's very kind. (laughs) Thank you. I don't feel like I have it figured out at all. And honestly, I'm not totally convinced I will ever reach the point where 
I'm operating separate of the financial anxiety I've had since I was a teenager (laughs) where I feel like I've got everything situated and I kind of know what I'm doing. I don't think we know what we're doing a lot of the time. And I wish that there was a lot more candor and transparency around that. I'm glad you just brought that up because, you know, sometimes I think to myself, I'm a full-time salary worker and I'm still having problems with my bills. Absolutely. I think, and I think that a lot of people are in that position. I think we we know from seeing labor strikes that are happening in fast food and in the service industry throughout this country, there are a lot of people that are working full time and are not able to pay their bills. And I think when that gets internalized as each individual's problem rather than a structural failing is where we kind of go awry in that element of this conversation. But for a long time, I kind of gave up on work-life balance. I was trying to do a bunch of different jobs at a time. And it's something that I kind of felt like I was prepared to do. It's like I told myself, you did this in college. You were a full-time student. You were a full-time employee. You can do this. And then my mental and physical health started deteriorating really, really rapidly. And this was probably two years ago. So right when I was starting reporting, real reporting on the book was when all of this stuff started happening. And I felt like all these balls that I had been juggling and assumed that I would continue to be capable of juggling just kind of started crashing down all around me. And I think that that was sort of the reckoning with how I thought about work personally, because, you know, from the perspective of just someone who reads all of the great labor reporting out there right now, we know our economy is racist. We know it's sexist. We know that everything is deeply tethered to capitalism, but somehow I kind of thought that I should be the exception in that if I just kept working harder, I'd be able to handle all of this. And instead, what I ended up doing was kind of pretty significant reimagining of who I was going to be outside of work. And in the same way, I prioritized being really conscious with sources that I talked to or fact-checking or following up. I tried to take that same level of attention to detail that I try to have in my writing and turn it to my personal life, where it's like, how are you going to show up as a friend today and as a daughter today? And what is your life outside of work look like? And I think by creating the space and the boundary To have even glimmers of that when you can, it definitely made me a healthier human being. I think it probably improved my work. Not that everything we do should be tied to productivity, but I do think it it made me better. So I think the biggest piece of advice I could give on that is sometimes it's not all going to be balanced and that's okay. Sometimes you do have to prioritize paying your bills, showing up for yourself in that way. And then maybe at a different point in your life, you prioritize it in the reverse. You have a little more freedom to take some space from work. But I think that whether it's one hour a day, whether it's every weekend, whatever you can, I think for young people to establish a sense of self outside of your job is really important. Because what we know and have definitely seen over the past year is sometimes work goes away. You get fired, you lose a job, your circumstances change, your health changes. It could be anything. And so I think having things to anchor you as this is who I am, this is what I do, this is what I love outside of the context of your job, even if it is a job you like, I think it's really important. And that's kind of an awakening I've had over the past couple of years. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for being on our show. It's been a real pleasure. That was a great conversation with Rainsford. I feel like 
she basically said everything I've been feeling, even at the age of 26. I'm not a recent graduate, but it still rings true. So what did you take away from that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm 28 and I was still feeling it. My favorite thing that she said, and it's something I personally have so much trouble with is when she talked about kind of this issues related to identity. So for example, like we're told that, you know, so much of our self-worth and our our life is, is sort of dependent on our job or productivity. And at the same time, we're also told like your job shouldn't be your life and you should be your own person. And I loved her strategy of doing check-ins with herself. Like, am I being a good friend today? You know what I mean? In addition to having like a checklist related to work. Yeah, definitely. And for me, a good takeaway was stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop Mm -hmm. comparing yourself to your friends on social media, because as she said, all of our journeys are going to be different. And that's funny that we had this conversation because this morning I woke up and just told myself, run your race. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Just run your race and look straight ahead and stop worrying about what other people are doing because I still fall into that trap where I'm like, oh, so-and-so got a great job at this company and X, Y, Z, and just stop doing that. <laughs> That's my takeaway from Rain We got it pretty good though. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like some, some people, that's, that's a good point though. Some people probably look at me and say, look at Christina working at Fast Company. She's got it made. And then I'm looking at the next person and so on, you know, you yeah. never really know uh, who you're inspiring. Christina, what have you been keeping tabs on this week? This week, I'm keeping tabs on my physical health because it definitely has been slacking a little bit during the pandemic. I put on some pandemic pounds and um, I'm starting this program. It's called Wonder Health. It's kind of like Noom, if you've ever heard of Noom. Like it teaches you the psychology behind why we eat and how we eat. And it's actually really been helping me just be more mindful about my eating, especially while working from home. I could snack all day long. So doing this program has just helped me to slow down, be more mindful about eating. And I feel like it's given me more energy and just helped me feel healthier. So that's what I'm keeping tabs on. What about you? This movie called Another Round. Uh, It was nominated for Best Foreign Film. It's a Danish movie. And I think in Danish, the title is Druk, which means binge drinking. (laughs) Anyway, starring Mads Mikkelsen, who's so hot. Mads, if you're listening, call me. No, just kidding. I have a boyfriend. He's great. But it's just, it's this wonderful movie. And it's about four teachers who feel somewhat unfulfilled in their careers and their lives. That's kind of related to this episode, except they try and solve it by getting like the perfect amount of drunk every day throughout the day, which I feel like this is not a spoiler alert. doesn't always work out super well for everyone. It's not, that's not what I'm endorsing on this podcast, but I do recommend the movie. Thanks for listening to Hit the Ground Running. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and recommend this show to a colleague or a friend or a colleague who is a friend. Also, if you have a few minutes, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, where a new show and your review helps others find us. Or you can send us an email at podcast at fastcompany.com. So let us know your thoughts and tell us if you have a question or an issue you'd like us to tackle on the show. Hit the Ground Running is produced by Franz Bowen with help from Blake Odom and with editorial oversight from Kate Davis. 